Welcome to the Heart of Dating Podcast. Hey, it's Kate. I'm so glad you could join us this week as we try to untangle the ever so ambiguous world of dating as a Christian. Over here on Heart of Dating, we get real as we answer some tough questions and uncover transformative ways to approach Christian dating. Oh, and you better believe we have some laughs along the way, because last time I checked, the struggle is hashtag real. You know what I'm saying? Now, let's get to the heart of the matter. Why, hello, Heart of Dating family. What's up, you guys? I'm so excited to have you here today. I say that every week, but I really, really mean it. I'm so excited and thankful and grateful each and every time you guys choose to tune into the episode. We work really hard on these podcast episodes, you guys, and really want to bring you the best possible content to help you in your singleness and dating life. So thank you for being here and thank you for tuning in today you are not going to regret it because this conversation is absolutely fire. All right. Now, before we get into the conversation with Sammy and Spencer, our guests for today, I wanted to let you know just a really awesome announcement. Are you ready? We are launching a conference. Yes, you guys. That's right. The Singled Out Conference is launching February 6th, which is really, really soon. And I'm going to be honest with you. It's going to be crazy flipping amazing. You're not going to want to miss out on this. We have an absolutely stacked lineup. Okay. We have Michelle Williams, Lisa Bevere, Alec Bevere, Dr. Henry Cloud. Uh Uh-huh. We have Sadie and Christian Robertson Huff. We have Dr. Darius Daniels, Chad Veach, JP Pakluda, Marianne Jordan, and so many others. We have over 25 speakers in the house for you guys at this conference, and we'll be covering the following topics, living your best single life, healing after trauma, heartbreak, and rejection, tools for spiritual formation, putting yourself out there in 2021, sex, God, and everything in between. And to that point, we actually brought on a sex therapist to talk more about that and answer all of your sex questions amid amazing other conversations. Now, if you are not available on February 6th, when this conference goes live, do not even worry about it. Sure, we will have live elements the 6th and you will get information on that very soon, but the rest of the content from the speakers will be available for an entire year. That's right. Now, not only that, something special that we're just announcing this week, y'all, is our amazing worship artist. Are you ready for this? Drum roll, please. We have the absolutely incredible Chandler Moore from Maverick City Music blessing us with incredible worship specifically and exclusively for the Singled Out Conference. You guys, I'm so excited. So if you want to get your ticket, go ahead and visit singledoutconference.com. It is going to be the perfect thing to start you off fresh and right and to just meet a whole bunch of other singles. All right, we are currently in season six of the Heart of Dating podcast, and we have our episodes each and every week on Wednesdays, and that will be an interview style. And then on Fridays, don't forget, we have bite-sized episodes. These are mini-series episodes, and these episodes correlate exactly with content in my book, Thank You for Rejecting Me, which, by the way, is launching February 16th. If you didn't know about it, now you know. Go pick up your copy at thankyouforrejectingme.com or tyfrm.com, and if you do so right now, first of all, 
all, that would help me greatly. But second of all, you'll actually get some incredible pre-order bonuses, including chapter five of my book, The Ugly Cry, which is all about heartbreak. And then you'll also get an incredible series that I created via video, which is a five-step process that will help you right now to get up off your feet in the wake of whatever rejection it is that you're experiencing. Maybe it's from friends or with work, or maybe it is from a significant other. Whatever it is, I created this series to really help you get up right now and move forward. All right, let's talk about this episode because we're getting into it. Man, this episode is so good. You're going to learn so much. It is absolutely rich with content and is so life-giving. I brought on my brand new friends, Sammy and Spencer Robbins, to talk about self-hatred and learning to love yourself. Sammy and Spencer Robbins run a life coaching business and ministry called Alive and Free, helping predominantly Christian women heal from self-hatred, shame, and past pain so they can attract a godly man and step into a thriving marriage. They have worked with more than 2,000 women, and they are still in a process to experience unconditional love in every area of their lives and relationship. Sammy and Spencer met each other after attending the same ministry school and were married two years later. They both had individually been on an extensive healing process for years. Sammy started Alive and Free a few years ago, walking women through one-on-one coaching, and it quickly grew into a combination of services, including group coaching, courses, and community. Their team is more than 30 people now, and they're impacting more people than they ever thought would be possible. Although Sammy and Spencer are leaders in this space, they are more involved in their own process and healing than they have ever been before. They still hold on to the belief that they're messy kids that are learning to let love in. You guys are going to be so enriched by this conversation today. We're talking about self-hatred because I write about that in chapter two of my book, and that chapter is called Here I Am. Oh, this chapter just makes me cry each and every time I read it because honestly, you guys, there's so many ways in which it's easy for me to even dip my toes back in the water of self-hatred. So buckle up. This is going to be absolutely incredible and prepare your hearts and your minds for the truth and the beauty that you're about to learn and hear from the incredible Sammy and Spencer Robbins. Okay, Sammy and Spencer Robbins. Yo, you guys, what's up today? How are you? What's up, Kate? (laughs) We're good. How are you? I'm doing well. It is a good day. And I'm excited for this conversation, you guys. We were just saying, like, I think we talked back in the fall of 2020. And I'm thinking back to even just from then, a few months ago, how much has changed for me in life? Like, just so many things. So how have you guys been the last few months? (laughs) We've done a lot of travel. Yeah. Yeah. Exhausted. We, yeah, we have lived in Northern California and Hawaii, uh, going back and forth for several months. And when you add that to a Mexico trip and an Idaho trip and a San Diego trip, and then you try and do all that together, it's just a recipe for ripping your hair out. (laughs) No, but it's been really It's honestly been fine. It's just been chaotic. Oh my gosh. Also, where did you go in Mexico? Because I was there earlier in the fall last year. Oh, that's right. Yeah. We went to Cabo for a couple oh, days. Nice, yeah. beautiful. I don't know why Mexico is like the place right now. I keep having dreams about Mexico. So I'm like, I think it's in the cards for me in 2021 to go back to Tulum because I keep dreaming about it. I love it. Well, we're doing that. We're doing we're going that to in, Tulum in three weeks. February. <gasps> yes. Oh my gosh. Please yeah. do it. I'm going to send you Rex. Everyone listening, also go to Sonara in, at Tulum. It is my favorite. 
hotel and go to the real coconut. Y'all have to do it. Everyone listening has to do it. It's so good. <laughs> and she's not getting paid by them. To no, I know. I'm not at all. <laughs> and I even went through a hurricane while there and we had to be uh, evacuated. So even with all that, I still really love it. <laughs> That's amazing. So exciting. Yeah. Well, guys, I want you to just quickly introduce yourselves and your hearts and what you do. So I think the work you're doing is phenomenal. And I'd love for people to get to know you guys a little and what you do. Well, I'm going to have Sammy explain because for some reason, every time I answer this question, <laughs> I answer it so weird. <laughs> I was going to let you go first, but um, I'm, so I'm Sammy and this is Spencer Robbins. Um, and we actually have a business ministry called Alive and Free. And we work with women and we essentially um, take them on a healing journey to get connected to themselves, connected to God and connected to people. And we do that through healing childhood pain and identifying where belief systems came in and um, teaching them really practical ways to connect with love, to connect with God in those areas so that their hearts can actually process through the pain and heal so that they can get out of cycles. So yeah. We, we do that and then we go through teaching them boundaries and communication and how to do relationship well in really practical ways. Yeah, I think Sammy and I both separately before we met each other were really high performers and kind of had a savior complex with everybody that we did life with and needed to save people, needed to be the leaders, needed to be. Oh my gosh. I don't, I don't relate to that at all. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's one of those things that exists for people that are pursuing anything. It's just kind of there and you recognize it. And, um, I don't know if it ever like really goes away completely, but we had a tendency of just disciplining ourselves to be high performers and to do things well, to have all the right answers, to say the right things, and even have a lot of, uh, you know, beautiful ministry experiences. But I think that we didn't understand how much healing we needed internally. Mm -hmm. And the more I'm sure you know, with how much experience you have and what you do, Kate, that, you know, like when we get into intimate, really intimate relationships, it really starts bringing out um, what's, what's really deep down in there. All your crap. <laughs> All of it comes to the surface. I'm like, yep. okay, yep. That thing is there again. Hello. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So the heart, the heart in what we do is really, um, right now we've just been working with mostly single women and we, we really just want to prepare them to do relationship. Well, whether that's just relationship or whether that's marriage, we have a, a real heart to equip people on doing that internal work so that by the time they get to marriage, they feel like they have those foundational tools to actually do it well and attract a really good godly man who's willing to put in the work too. Yep. That's so good, man. I'm like, I wish I had worked with y'all years ago. Okay. Because that is like exactly (laughs) what I needed. And I have a feeling that so many people listening right now, I mean, we're going to share all your links and places to connect with you guys. But I really think this is going to resonate with just so many women, especially listening. And we do have guys listening. So, hey, dudes, this convo is for you too. So today we are, you guys, diving in to the topic that you know so well, but that I also know well for better, for worse. And that's kind of the the topic of fighting our inner self-hatred. And my new book, Thank You for Rejecting Me, is coming out February 16th. And um, woohoo, I'm so pumped. But the beginning of the book, I really focus on, instead of, there's of course external rejections, things that we experience from other people um, that we can't control, such as heartbreak, abandonment, feeling left out, being misunderstood, 
good, being uninvited. There's a lot of external rejections that we don't have control over. But then on the flip side, there are internal rejections happening. The ways that we see ourselves, the way we berate ourselves, how we reject ourselves before others even have a chance to. And so I wanted to actually start my book talking through those self-rejections. And chapter two of the book is all about self-hatred. I say in that chapter, this is a quote um, at the beginning, I say, I hate that version of myself. I don't want to go back there. I am a new person today. And part of what happened for me in that, and even just saying that, um, it was at a therapy retreat center called Onsite. And we were instructed to detail out the six most painful memories of her childhood, which I'm like, no, thank you. And she wanted us to step into what it was like as a child. What did I feel in those moments? How did I show up? And my first response was like, absolutely not. I don't want to go back there. And I don't want to take a look at that part of myself or that version of myself because like, I hated that part of how I showed Mm -hmm. up and my life and what it what I thought other people experienced of me at the time. And so I know that the topic of self-hatred also is such a part of your guys' story and passionately a part of how you help people today through that. So I know it's a big, heavy question. It's, It's a big question, but if you guys could just share some of the ways in which self-hatred has kind of plagued you in your life. And then secondary to that, what were some of the layers, like the different things, either little traumas, big traumas that kind of happened that led you into some of those self-hating narratives? Well, uh, <laughs> boom. <laughs> we can, we here, can probably go down a long lengthy road. Yeah, right. <laughs> let's just, let's talk about self-hatred, everyone. <laughs> Just go I into it. Myself so much. <laughs> entirely. Self-loathing. Oh um, man. I I can start. I know. Why don't you start? I know. For me, um, there is so much I could say about this, so I will keep it minimal. Um, but I was really given a lot of attention and love and praise for what I could give to people because I've I've been very servant hearted since I was a little, little girl and would pretty much do anything for anyone and very much so had a desire to just give in love and partnered with that. I did childhood modeling and I did so well at it and made so much money. I actually provided for my entire family as a little girl and I was very much so praised for being a model, I was given attention to um, by kids at school for modeling and got a lot of love and affirmation from my mom because I modeled and was also rejected um, by my sisters because I modeled and because I was favored by my mom. That sounds a lot like my story of modeling, too. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, <laughs> never, it never happened. Yeah, yeah. I was picking up on that. <laughs> so it's this, it was this weird, like, combination of different factors where I was given so much love because of the way that I looked. And um, by the time I was 16, 17, and 18, all of my childhood pains started, like, coming to the surface where I... Oh my gosh. I remember laying in bed, holding the skin on my stomach, wanting to like rip, rip the fat off of me. I remember so desperately wanting to be outside of my body and just did the whole thing. Fake tanning, fake nails, fake hair, fake eyelashes. Couldn't go to the grocery store without looking entirely done up, but it's because there was so much attention and worth and praise put on my image. 
And and the only times I really got any glimmer of love or acceptance from the people closest to me is when I was giving to them. So love for me felt contingent on my generosity and my image. And so for me, I was always falling short. If I didn't get the attention from a guy that I wanted, or if I got rejected by a friend or a friend group, or um, if anything circumstantially happened, I automatically would start hating and shaming myself for not being enough Mm. and not looking a certain way. And so I had, I mean, I had so many years where I was escaping through smoking weed and drinking and trying to look a certain way and trying to do all of these things in order to get love and acceptance. And, and I'm still, I mean, even I've been on a healing journey for the last eight years and I still find these like little glimpses of, oh, that's, that's the version of Sammy that I hated and shamed and tried to get rid of for so long. And I'm still, I think it's a, for me, I think it's a forever healing thing where it's layer by layer, but I know Spence's story is a bit different than mine. Yeah. And, um, I mean, there's so many similarities too, especially in regard to body image, you know, um, I I lost a hundred pounds in high school and, uh, that was because I hated chubby 12 year old Spencer so much. And I made him responsible for my rejection, a lot of my life and my aloneness. And, um, when I lost a hundred pounds, the world started treating me differently, you know? And, um, and I noticed that like girls even thought I was a new kid at school and, and all of a sudden girls started throwing themselves at me because high school girls are crazy. And <laughs> what uh, are you talking about? I was I, not that girl at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh Hello, and, that's me. Right. <laughs> yeah. Your ears are not burning. Um, I mean, high school boys are crazy too. So <laughs> no, when I was 16, I had 16 boyfriends. So trust me, I was throwing myself in every guy's face at 16. I was like, Hey, Honestly, you know, that's prepared you to manage so much this late in your life, you know, that you, you started early. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Seriously. Wow. If only I saw it that way, but (laughs) man, I I don't know how you'd manage 16 relationships. I know, right? (laughs) I don't even know. It's just, it was literally the thank you next. It was like, "Mm, you've served my purpose on to the next one. Okay. This is before Netflix, everyone. I had my entertainment through all the boyfriends. Wow. Honestly, I'm not even mad. I'm just impressed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my Um, gosh. Sorry to interrupt. Okay. So you had all the girls throwing themselves at you. Yeah. Uh That's not even the start of my, my process. That's more of just like, I, I can resonate a lot with Sammy's story because, you know, after the world shows you that love is conditional and when you meet the conditions, you get into a dangerous position where you're now stuck. You're stuck because you have the choice to choose between abandonment, rejection, and aloneness or conditional love. And so you go, what's, what, what do I want? What well, least conditional love offers love Yeah. because the alternative doesn't offer anything else. And I'm, I'm deeply alone in that place. And so I might as well meet the conditions that people have placed on me in order to be lovable. And then at least in that place, I can be powerful enough to meet those conditions. But unfortunately, you never get to be in the place where the worst part of you or the the darkness in you or the pain in you gets compassion and love. And I think that was a lot of my life. You know, growing up, my my parents did the best they knew how, but they're taking responsibility for a lot of pain they've inflicted in my life and their humanity. Just like we'll have to do the same when we step into parenthood. 
But as I look back, even though I was raised in a Christian home, uh, I was different. I was a very different child than my, my two brothers. And, uh, and you know, my older brother was, he was, he was such a type A personality. He ran a marathon when he was 12 years old. He ran a half oh, wow. marathon when he was 11. Okay. <laughs> you know, news stations came out to interview him and I was simultaneously in our basement room playing video games for five hours, eating corn dogs and chili dogs. <laughs> <laughs> AKA everybody right now in COVID. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is a temptation. Again. You know, um, but oh I, I was, I was in there feeling like this outsider, little chubby, um, awkward, socially awkward Spencer and had felt like there was always something wrong with me. And the school system, uh, it didn't work for me. I had ADD and I was diagnosed with that early on. And my, and my doctor had recommended Ritalin and Adderall and my parents in hoping that I would, you know, turn into something that I would become something successful, that I wouldn't experience pain and heartache in school or in systems. They put me on pills, but it shut down my social skills. And it led to a very lonely, lonely, elementary school experience and middle school experience. And I remember crying, you know, so many different nights because I didn't have any friends. And, um, and I think when I hit high school, I recognized there was this new pool of community where I could be someone new. And that's when I, that was the moment that I started completely rejecting and hating chubby 12 year old Spencer. And the part of me that was um, awkward in different ways, but that same kid that I rejected for his awkwardness or for his pain or for the way that coping manifested in eating. Um, in, in the same ways that I rejected those things, I rejected his tenderness and his, you know, his hunger and his curiosity. And I rejected all the parts of him that made him beautiful. Um, and I think that was something that I carried into adulthood. And along with that aloneness, I had a, a huge porn addiction since I was 11 years old. And if there are any men listening, you know that it's a dark place to not feel like you can share that with anybody and be trapped in this place where you don't know how else to comfort your pain or how else to feel. So that's a lot of my story. And I don't want to dig too deep into it, but I can definitely resonate with a lot of self-hatred. No, I mean, gosh, I mean, we're just all sitting in the pool of self-hatred right now, guys. <laughs> we're all sharing the self-hatred because so much of what you were even saying, both of you guys is bringing things up for me as well with especially body image being, and that was honestly the first chapter of my book is written on insecurity and body image. And that's the biggest way I believe we self-reject um, for both genders, to be honest. And body shame is a huge trigger for so many people. And you talk about it too. And I want to just quickly address the numbing vices um, because this was something that I really had to pay attention to. And I write about that in chapter two, where my therapist at this place on site, she's like, you are covering up all the parts you hate about yourself. It's There's a lot of shame layered on top of those that parts of your soul, but then you're covering all of that shame up with all these numbing devices. And for me, the numbing looked like performing. That was my number one. My number one was just performing, being the best. I'm an Enneagram three, and it just was like, be the best at everything. Perform, have everybody like you, get validation. That is like my drug was validation. And then my other drug was dating and sex um, or anything sexual. And so I had to, and I was like, oh, 
oh my gosh, you're right. Like the reason why it's easy for me to not look at all the shame is because I'm just like, I'm performing and I'm good now because I'm just numbing away all of those parts. But you guys mentioned a few of your numbing vices. I'd love to just talk about that and then transition into what was the breaking point where you both just realized like, wow, this something has to change. I can't live my life this way anymore. Yeah, I love that. I, I know for me, like my, my dark days was when I was like 18 years old and drinking and smoking. And that was my first attempt at numbing until God really got a hold of my heart. And then for the next five years after I went on this journey after I had like this crazy encounter with God when I was 18 years old, where I just was like, God, I'm, I'm so tired and exhausted and I want you and I don't know how to get you. I don't know how to live for you. Like, would you change my desires? Cause all I want to do is numb. And I felt something in my heart shift. And within three days, I had zero desire to live the way that I was living like at all. And I had been in a deep, dark pit for years. Um, And so I started this journey of just really trying to learn my identity. I started getting aware that my eating was unhealthy and that my training was unhealthy and that the way that I talked to myself was unhealthy. And I spent a year or two just kind of unraveling and getting really self-aware and trying to do like behavioral modifications to try to kind of disarm some of that stuff. For example, I would try to not work out for like a month. Or I would try to eat ice cream instead of chicken lettuce wraps. It's like com- coming in the opposite spirit. <laughs> it was, you know, yeah. it was just coming like, in the opposite spirit. Maybe I can just quit doing all of these behaviors and my self-hatred will go away. And, you know, behavioral modification is like putting a, a Band-Aid on a wound. It doesn't actually help it heal. It won't ever heal just because there's a Band-Aid on it. But the wound needs love and compassion to heal. and so. I went deeper into this journey where I um, was still working out three hours a day, but spending the time listening to sermons, watching testimonies, praying for people in the gym. I was being like crazy ministry, Sammy. (laughs) Yes. I love the phases of our life of different things. Like then that was crazy ministry, Sammy. (laughs) Oh yeah, girl. I was like, I mean, I was high on Jesus in those years seeing some beautiful things happen in my life, Mm. but I was. She was very I, spiritual. I was still numbing. <laughs> yeah, I, numb, I honestly numbed my pain, and so did Spencer with ministry for several years. That was a meditation if, for sure. If we can see the next miracle, and we have the next amazing story of how God healed someone, or how God showed up, or or how God spoke to us about someone, that was honestly a, a numbing vice for us for a while. But for me, I was still working out, like sometimes three and four hours a day trying to put my good deeds and my pursuit of Jesus, like to cover it up. And I I think like something that's interesting that for me was really freeing learning is that I would try to keep my conditions right in order to keep me worthy of love. Meaning like a a lot of people are like, well, I don't hate myself. I don't struggle with self-hatred, but self-hatred is conditional love. Meaning if you like and love yourself whenever you have a flat stomach, but you don't like and love yourself whenever you have love handles, yep. that's self-hatred. Well, like we never just hate ourselves fully. Like that yes. people that live in the pool of self-hatred, they end up ending their lives. You know, that 
that's where they're like, there's actually no part of me left that is worth keeping alive. That's where it's, it's one completely, but we, we adopt that relationship with self-hatred because it serves a purpose for us. We're like, actually, I'm going to make self-hatred a friend because it's going to give me what I need, which is the conditions. Yeah. It's going to give me what makes me lovable. So, so I'm going to hate me myself enough to get that. So we think if I can keep all of these external and internal conditions right, then I'll be worthy of love. So that kept me in the gym three hours a day. That kept me like cracked out on Jesus, like on a ministry high. That kept me eating super, super clean. And if I didn't eat clean, I would come up with a plan and all of the ways that I needed to, you know, quote unquote, get back on track again. And so for me, a lot of my self-hatred manifested in being on this hamster wheel of trying to keep the conditions right. And I got so freaking good at keeping the conditions right, Kate. Yeah. So good that I actually didn't often even see my self-hatred. Yeah. Yeah. And it really wasn't until Spencer and I started dating Um, I'll try to keep it quick, but when Spencer and I started dating, I remember there was a week that I felt really vulnerable because I like noticed I had a lot of feelings happening for him in the same week I lost a job. And in the same week I sprained my ankle and Oh my gosh, just all the things. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It, it made all my crap come to the surface. And you and can't I control all those conditions anymore because everything is changing all at once. Bingo. Yeah. Yeah. Bingo. Yeah. And so, so feeling out of control is a huge trigger for me going mm-hmm. into self-hatred. Yes. So I felt out of control with work. I felt out of control in my relationship. I felt out of control with my body because I couldn't run as much as I was. And I remember um, walking on the treadmill next to Spencer and I was telling him, I just feel frustrated and my ankle hurts. And I was still trying to walk, even though my ankle was hurting. And I was telling him like, I just, I need to like be better on my diet. I need to be working out more. And I started listing out loud to him, all of the things that I needed to change. And And I was vulnerable with him in a moment. And I told him that the day, I don't know if it was the day before the afternoon, I had determined in my head to fast until a certain time that day, like, like I was seeking Jesus, but actually it was just me trying to yep. be skinny. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Like, how many people you probably know in LA that are quote unquote fast? I'm going to do the Daniel fast right now, but really I'm just losing weight. Like just, Models and actresses. I just and, really want to seek God this month. Like this month is the specific month I need to seek God and get thin. Um, so I had determined to fast and at noon I was starving. So I made a bowl of vegetables and I shame spiraled after I ate the vegetables because I broke my standard. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It wasn't even about the food that I was putting in my body. It was that I put food in my body when I said that I wouldn't. Mm -hmm. And I went to the bathroom and I threw it up, which is what I did when I was 17 and 18 years old. And so for the first time in years, I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been quote unquote healthy emotionally and spiritually for years. I can't believe I'm here again. I felt so out of control. And so I told him, hey, I threw up and I need to fix all of these things in my life. And he was like, Sammy, when are you going to love yourself when your head's over the toilet? And I was like, uh, what? And he was like, you're trying to get rid of all of these different parts of you 
But what you actually need is love and compassion. You trying to fix all these things isn't going to make your self-hatred go away. And at first, I just rejected what he said. <laughs> I was like, that's inspirational. <laughs> oh, you're cute. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks. Thanks for that. <laughs> and then I go home and God says to me, um, it's been it's been the tools that I've given you that's brought in you transformation, but you've never actually let my unconditional love heal you. And I felt Ooh. it stab me. In my, like it was one of those things where it's like piercing your spirit and your soul, where you're like, oh, like oh gosh. And I realized every time I had talked about the healing and the transformation I'd gone through, I would always talk about all of the cool tools that I had, and I it was never actually love that transformed me. And so. I went on a journey since then that's radically changed my life where I've learned to bring love into all of the conditions, no matter what they are. So when I'm feeling the most unlovable, when I'm getting triggered into parts of me that I don't like, learning how to bring love from myself and from God into those moments. But it really Spencer that changed my life. Yep. And <laughs> and make sure you note of that audience. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> totally Find kidding. you a man and your life heals. Nope. Okay. <laughs> yeah. To all you single women, all it need, all you need is a man. Just oh, a, wow. All yeah, the feminists just, just got turned us off right now. Okay. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Edit that out. That's bad That's, theology. Yeah, really, really bad. Just, just kidding. <laughs> no, I mean, but this isn't, well, but I do want to say on that note that the beauty of relationships is it can heal certain woundings as well. Like we shouldn't depend on oh, it yeah. for that, but it, that this, the secure love, the the support, the consistency of somebody can heal some, uh, cause it's reflecting like a mirror towards you. Like, it's like, oh my gosh, it brings out the crazy crap. And then it also, but the way someone loves you can reflect God's love towards you in a way that maybe you haven't been giving yourself or are used to getting. And that, oh, yeah. that is my gosh, the beauty of relationships. And I believe healing can so deeply happen in relationships, but I just want to touch on some of the things you just said, because I mean, first of all, I'm like literally sitting here shaking my head and being like, wow. I mean, this, I think 2020 of all years has been the year of like, we're not in control at a national global scale. We aren't control we're, we are not in control of a lot. And that's been a big lesson for people this year, having to live in the obscurity of like, what's next month going to hold? Are things going to be open? Will COVID end? Will this, that, and the, you know, like what is going on? We've had to be more, become more pop or comfortable with living in obscurity, but this control piece and you talking about the conditional love, man, I'm just like hit over the head with this one girl, because I'm like, ah, that is so defined my life. Um, where if only I can control all these things, then I feel so good. And what happens in singleness, a lot of the singles listening, we get really good at that. You know, we get good at like my life, my wake up at this time, my coffee is here. I control my diet. I eat when I want. I sleep when I want. Like all the things are like very much perfected oh, <laughs> for yeah. our specific lives in a silo. <laughs> and if I don't want to see a friend that night, cool. I don't have to, <laughs> like, I, um, but way different when you enter into a relationship and now 
you're learning sacrificial love and they like to eat at a different time and they like different foods than you and they have different needs than you. And just, you're like, what? Oh my gosh, this is not my perfect little conditional bubble. Oh my gosh. I have no idea what you're talking about. We just, honestly, we had to work through like a 10 minute confrontation last night over food. Oh my gosh. There, you guys, that is hitting you on a different level that I love it. But uh, even on that point of food, like something I've learned and I was in a relationship in 2020 and something that happened in that relationship was he, we eat slightly different things and it was COVID. And honestly, I gained weight in relationships and it is a big challenge for me to be still okay with myself and my body, even though sometimes I gain a little weight because it's my eating pattern is off. If I want to eat with them or we're making meals together or we order food together, you know, it's like you're suddenly eating what that person eats (laughs) and you're like, wait a second. (laughs) Why did I put on five pounds? Do I still love myself with the five pounds and really going through those layers? I mean, that's, those are things for me that still come up. Now, if you haven't heard yet, I wrote a book on rejection. It's called Thank You for Rejecting Me, Transform Pain into Purpose, and Learn to Fight for Yourself. And you guys, it comes out on February 16th. That's right, just in time for Valentine's Day. (laughs) Now, I know with confidence that this book is going to help you face your past rejections, heal from the ones you're going through currently, and prepare you for the future of rejections that may come. It's all of my darkest stories of rejection combined, from betrayal to heartbreak, abuse, abandonment, feeling like a total failure, not fitting in, being uninvited, wondering where God is within all of the pain, and even in the tragic ways in which I've self-rejected through self-hatred, insecurity, and body shame. Friend, I just truly cannot wait for you to get your hands on this book on February 16th. Now here's something else I want you to know. After years of helping others with their dating life, this year I found myself thinking I was in the middle of my own redemption story. When suddenly I got broken up with by the man I thought I was going to end up with. When I wrote this book, I never considered that the very words I'd write would end up being the exact thing I desperately needed to heal my own heart this year. I have spent many nights since that breakup on my hands and knees crying out to God in utter pain and frustration. But simultaneously, I have thanked God through the tears for the powerful healing that this book, Thank You for Rejecting Me, has provided for my own heart. Knowing what I know today, I got to say this. I'm so grateful that God did not give me what I thought I wanted. Today, with more confidence than ever, I want to shout, thank you for rejecting me. And friend, I want more than ever for you to be able to claim that for yourself too. Whether you're dealing with self-rejections like body insecurity or self-hatred, Whether you're lonely and dealing with a massive heartbreak, whether you've been abandoned by someone important to you, maybe you consistently don't feel like you fit in anywhere. Maybe you've been betrayed or horrifically abused. Maybe you felt weighed down by sexual shame. Maybe you feel like a failure from all the closed doors in your life. Maybe you're stuck wondering where God is within all of it. Well, guess what? We're talking about all of that in this book. Now, if you are also feeling the weight of rejection right now, I want you to know I created a free five-step video series called How to Get Back Up When Rejection Knocks You Off Your Feet. It's all about how to muster the strength to take the very first steps right after being hit down. And today, I want you to know that if you pre-order my book, Thank You for Rejecting Me, 
you'll be able to get access to this really special sacred and healing series. It has such a special place in my heart because it actually helped me in the immediate throes of devastation after my last breakup. These practical steps enabled me to have the groundwork to take the first steps to find the strength to stand up, tend to my hurting heart, and start the healing process. If you pre-order my book, Thank You For Rejecting Me, you'll not only get access to this incredible series, but you'll also get a special workbook to coincide with the series. And you'll get early access to chapter five of my book called The Ugly Cry. You'll also get exclusive access to the Thank You For Rejecting Me Insider Launch Team, where we will be doing a private book club. What I've learned through my years of rejection is this. Rejection can try to have its way with us, but that doesn't mean we can't have our way with rejection. Friend, I am so excited to be on this journey with you. If you want to support me, you can go to thankyouforrejectingme.com or tyfrm.com and you can pre-order your book right now from your favorite book site and get immediate access to all the pre-order goodies. There are people listening that are listening, and I loved even Spencer that you said, you know, Self-hatred, it's not often that we're just living in the pool of self-hate, where everything, we hate every single part of ourselves. It's really that we're dipping our toes in these waters and we are trying, we, they're just easy pathways in our brain to go down, especially when it comes to certain things. And those are things that we, often people are so afraid to look at. And just like back to the quote I said at the beginning, it's like, I don't want to look at that part. Like that was old Kate. Those are my old ways. Those are uh, like, no, I'm not even going to go there. And what I had to learn was how to step out first in courage, to take the first step in courage to go through those painful layers. So what do you guys recommend for people listening to practically take that courage and start the process of facing some of the layers of shame and self-hatred that have built up for potentially years? I'll start just by saying what we don't feel, we don't heal. Yes. Oh and man, so- I say I love that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so if if we don't actually examine these different things, like we think that if we can ignore or hate away these different versions of ourselves, that we'll be different or be better or be more lovable. So even with you saying like I I hated that part of me, I'm new now. Well, if you're partnered with self-hatred over old you, you're partnered with self-hatred over current you. And so if you don't actually feel that, your heart can't actually heal and process through that. But I I want you to share, babe, because I know that you'll have some good stuff for it. I mean, I think that there are so many ways to go about it. I mean, how many people have prayed like, God, just take this thing away from me, you know, and (laughs) I got, I just want to feel different. And, you know, I I can't have this desire. This is such a bad desire. Like, you know, there's, there's all this like shame prayer, you know, that and, and God is not running away. He doesn't abandon us in shame prayer, you know, but I don't think that we're able to engage God in our emotions where we need to, if we're trying to, if we're shaming our emotions, if we're shaming our pain and we're shaming our feelings. Or numbing it and shoving it. Exactly. And I think that's the point of not sinning too, is that, you know, sin actually removes your ability to get love in an area that your heart needs it to heal, you know? And like, I think about, um, I think about the different vices and, you know, people may, who are listening, they might be like, you know, I, I work out to, to numb or cope, or I, I eat to comfort myself, or I have a porn addiction, or I, 
use relationships to medicate over and over and over again, or I use ministry. I need to be the savior everywhere I go so I can be good enough, you know, and there's probably a, a root core pain there in family and childhood of like, I needed to be someone that was significant in order to be loved. You know, like the only time I got admired or loved by my parents was when I was doing great things, you know, because they were fairly dissociated. So it's like we might, I dissociated for a long time, but I think the first thing that I needed to do was to pull the layer of shame off of my vices. So instead of shaming sinful Spencer's, you know, the part of me that messed up, you know, the part of me that, you know, with porn, for instance, I had for years and years. So like uh, from uh, age 11 to like my two big things in my life were porn addiction and, uh, and then addiction to uh, working out, measuring every gram of food and throwing up, throwing up after every cheat meal. You know, it was like these two prisons of torment that I lived in. And um, and I'd done for with, with, let's take porn, for instance, since that's such a, you know, such a, a common thing, not just with men, but with women, mm-hmm. uh, with medication, yeah, you know, we, it's growing with that too. I don't, I like absolutely. to call that out because there's a lot of women, especially now who are like, what? I can't tell anybody about that. You know, yeah. totally, mm-hmm. you know, and we want to be on the side that's going like, no porn puts, you know, it, 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 it's AIDS human trafficking and it, it, it causes women to be in prison. We have all these different social justice things and we want to be on that side, but internally it's just causing us to feel deeper and deeper in shame because of how bad we know that it is, you know? And, and we think that if we can keep piling on shame on that, that vice or that sin or that, um, that coping mechanism that, you know, maybe we'll just think it's bad enough to stop. Yeah. You know, maybe we can shame the part of ourselves that's doing that and, and tell that, tell ourselves that we're so disgusting that we'll never want to go near that again. And, you know, like I even see that um, not to make a huge tangent, but I see that in the way that people talk about their testimonies, how they're like, I was, I was an awful person. I was this, you know, it's like this language. It almost makes them like this really bad person until Jesus. And I don't think Jesus would have communicated to them that way. You know, and I I think the way that they communicate about themselves before they accepted Christ is so hateful, you know, and and honestly, like for God so loved the world that he gave his son, you know, like I I think that that's a that's a huge uh, need for Christians to understand is like you were not lovable because you got the Christian conditions right or because you repented, Mm -hmm. you repented and you got to experience salvation, but it never changed how God saw you the whole time. He always loved you. You know, the woman mm-hmm. caught in adultery, she was free. She was able to be free from sin. He was, Jesus said, go and sin no more after he disarmed all accusation over her, the accusation of the Pharisees, her own internal accusation, the accusation she feared she might get from the son of God or from, mm-hmm. from this person that represented God in the town square, from the people that recognized that the law was to kill a person that was caught in adultery And not only was she caught in adultery, she was thrown into the town square naked, you know, like, and Jesus disarmed all accusation and then loved her, saw her value and was able to say sin no more after that. We missed that completely when we rushed to, I have to sin no more so I can be lovable. I think that's probably the first step I would say anybody needs to go on the journey of, like for me, 
I know that was a big tangent, but getting no, back it's to- it's so my- important. That's I'm thinking about even ways I've said my testimony, not in a shame-filled way to myself, but like how have I like portrayed the old Kate in such a way that's like kind of hateful in the way I speak about her or the way I used to be, right. you know? Yeah. Like wasn't she searching for Jesus the whole time, but couldn't yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So her heart really was longing for unconditional love. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, the with my porn journey, I had I had gotten to this point where I had done ministry school and I was doing a lot of ministry and seeing a lot of beautiful miracles on the streets and in churches. And um my my porn uh, my porn addiction had probably gotten to the point where I might only have like a mess up every couple months, you know, two or three months. And I talked with friends and then I would go straight to the word and worship and soak. And then, okay, I feel like I'm free from the remembrance of that sin because I threw all these scriptures at myself and, and I was able to get in the presence and, okay, I forgive myself. And, you know, it's like, but it kept being this cycle. And I recognized, um, you know, I I had gotten leadership and I have a a really close friend that was mentoring me at the time. And he had walked me through a lot of this. But in that process, I had recognized like I actually never invited God or unconditional love in immediately after I messed up, immediately after I sinned, immediately after I looked at porn and masturbated, you know, and what, what my heart needed was to know that I was loved in that moment. What my heart deeply needed to know was that I'm not to be shamed or accused in that moment. That's actually the wrong kingdom. I needed to know that I was loved, that that's not who I actually was. But if I kept doing that, love would not be withheld. God would not abandon me. He's actually in it in those moments and he's not going anywhere. And I needed to learn that in an emotional level. You know, and and after that, after it's like, and honestly, it was probably a couple months of me just inviting God in the moment after I'd messed up every time to where I I, I stopped being like, I'm going to shame myself. And then I got to the point where I opened up my laptop one day and I was like, I actually don't want this. This disconnects me from myself. Like, I don't want this, not because of shame. I don't want this because I don't want this. Mm-hmm. I think when it comes down to it, like we choose those things, we choose those numbing vices because we have deficits. We're just looking to get our needs met. And if we choose into that deficit and we choose into that thing that harms us in whatever way, shape or form, and then we partner with self-hatred or shame after, it actually puts us back into a deficit, which perpetuates that same exact cycle. And I think for both of us, the thing that was so healing for us is learning that compassion is actually the door to unconditional love. It's the antidote to shame and self-hatred. So if you can learn how to partner with compassion in those moments, for example, going back to actually, for those of you listening, I'd love for you to write down what are the versions of you? We can do it like Kate's counselor did. What are the six versions of you in your life that you hated the most? whether it's an age you were at or a situation that happened or the seasons, like reflect on those and write those down. Like for me, it was the version of Spencer that threw up after meals. It was the version of Spencer that was chubby and responsible for rejection. It was the Spencer that had ADD and couldn't focus in school. It was the Spencer that was religious Bible thumper Spencer that (laughs) went preaching 
you know, religious Christianity at everybody, you know, so like there's the different versions of myself. I still, I, I had carried judgment over. So after you look at your list of all of those different versions of you, I want you to think about you being a little kid or a teenager or an immature adult that had needs, like a lifetime of needs that had gone unmet. That younger you wouldn't have those deficits if they had a mom and a dad who knew how to really love them and care for them. And even if you had a good mom and dad, they're not God. Your mom and dad weren't Jesus, meaning they're not perfect and they can't be your full source of love. So there are, whether we have been through abusive childhoods or neglectful childhoods or just had mundane childhoods, we all had tons of needs that have gone unmet. And the truth is, is that if they were met, we wouldn't need to go to those things to fill and to numb and to quench. And then we wouldn't be perpetuated into self-hatred. So if you can look at that younger you with compassion and recognize, was I doing the best that I knew how to do? What was I needing? What was the pain that I was going through? What was I looking for when I was sleeping around with guys, when I was doing drugs, whenever I was going to pornography, what was I in need of that I wasn't getting? Once we can learn to partner with compassion for ourselves in those areas, it's actually easy to bring love in. It's easy to disarm shame and self-hatred. So I think for, for me, what I would say to that is figure out how to connect with compassion for those different parts of yourself. Before the conditions are right. Yeah, before you fixed anything. Man, what you guys are saying is exactly like what my counselor and that I write about in the chapter two is that like mm -hmm. I had to look at the deepest parts of my soul and in essence, my inner child and look at what she was experiencing. And in this session we had, we did what was called a sculpt where you have other people, it's a group therapy thing and they're like acting out different people in your life. And so I have my mom, my dad, my brother, like everybody's acting out a different role. And then somebody's acting like your inner child. And I had to watch what was going on to me and realize like, man, what is actually happening to her from an outside perspective? I looked at it and I was like, I've been hating this version of myself. And when I could step back and realize, wait, Kate, this like little version of Kate just didn't feel seen and heard. Yeah. And mm -hmm. she flailed her arms and she had temper tantrums and she mm -hmm. got loud because she just wanted to be seen. Like she yeah. was called dramatic. She was told that it, like to stop yelling or to, to stop mm -hmm. talking and to stop, you know, and, and I was really only rewarded for performance. And so I, I learned that, that I mean, the conditional love was like, oh, if I want to be recognized and heard, I, I perform like that's what I do. And so I started seeing this version of myself because I started in my childhood years having to control everything by being loud, by being the best and then controlling friends. Like I would be very strict with my friends. Like you have to do things, everything I say, because I thought like, man, this is how I could try to control things when at home, everything felt so out of control and I felt so oh, unseen. Lord. And so when I could finally like lift some of the layers of shame and see that, like I remember in this moment, like collapsing on the ground, you know, like crawling over to like my inner child and and being like, I'm so sorry. And it was yeah. just this moment where you realize, oh my gosh, like that's why you showed up that way. Like, I'm so yeah. sorry. And that makes so much sense. And I totally get what you just wanted to be heard. And I, and then I had this moment where years later now, you know, I'm 31, I look back and I'm like, 
wait, I've been like shoving that version of myself. I've been now doing the same thing that my parents did to my inner version of myself, which is to ignore them, to ignore her and blah, blah, blah. And what happens in relationship is when that part of me gets like a little bit triggered, it comes out, you know? And then it's like yelling and all this stuff. And, and I'm like, what's happening right now? Why is this, you know, like, ah, and then I feel more shame. I'm like, no, Kate, you can't be that way. Like, stop it. You know? And it's this cycle of just until I can, could finally find that moment of compassion and self-compassion. And what I've learned is that those moments, some of the triggers, some of that, those versions come back up, you know, and it's just, how are you going to, it's just your choice to how to handle it differently now. And that is, at least for me, my journey of like, how am I handling it when I know little Kate or that version of me is coming up? You know, am I shaming myself because I could quote unquote do better? Or am I like, hey, okay, what are you trying to say to me right now? Why, why is this flaring up? How could I meet your needs for you? Which is not easy. (laughs) And what's, what's crazy too, is like with the way that our parents treated us, we replicate those same things to ourselves. Like you were saying with self-talk and with the way that we treat ourselves, 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 (laughs) wow. And you tell them. It's not that we just do self-talk that way, but we end up talking that way to our spouses. We end up treating our kids that way. We end up replicating that exact same thing until we actually can learn how to confront and then reparent ourselves. Once you actually start treating yourself differently, you can actually overflow that same love. But that's why I love this journey too, because Uh, like you don't have to be powerless to the cards that you were dealt in life when you decide to take ownership for your life and heal. Yes. Actually change those things. You can't change your history, but you can change the way you're going to do things in the future. And, and I love that because I've, I mean, I've seen in a lot of my close friends relationships, you know, even we were talking about men earlier and how you can't, you can't expect a man to be the thing that comes in and heals you, but they can be an added gift in a mirror. But that's if the man is on a healing journey too. That's if yes, the man good. learned how to love himself. Because I've seen yes. close friends have guys that give them tons of conditional love and are really controlling and hard on them. And I all of the time know that that man has self-hatred and self-judgment if he's treating someone I love like that. Because the same way we love ourselves is the same way we'll love the people around us. I love that we can be powerful to actually learn to reparent ourselves so that we can create new experiences. And if I could just add one thing, something we've heard from Christians sometimes is that that process sounds selfish. Yeah. You know, oh, just focusing on yourself and your needs and finding out what your needs are and, Mm. um, and, you know, of course yourself. we would say it's selfish. Okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you have to lose yourself to find, you have to lose your life we, to find. Can I just say at the side note, like I love Christians, right. But like, we are also become the most codependent people sometimes on the planet. Just give yourself entirely to another person. And we forget the verse where it says, love your neighbor as yourself, which means yes. in order to love others, we have to love yes. ourselves. And I think we yes, just exactly. totally forget get that part. Anyway, move, continue on Spencer. (laughs) 100%. You know, I I can't even tell you how many times we've heard that from people 
especially especially around what we do. Especially, especially. <laughs> um, my inner Sean Connery started coming. Um, <laughs> oh, R.I.P. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I just wanted to sound more official. Especially. <laughs> um, you know, we we hear that so often, and so I'm sure I am sure that there are people listening to this right now that are probably thinking like, this is not the Christian life, though. To you know, to just serve yourself, to identify your needs and meet your needs. And to, you know, it's like, and I think there can, there can be that judgment that creeps in somewhere along the way. And I just wanted to speak to that, that um, if you are not learning how to uh, meet your needs, your needs will find a way to meet themselves no matter what, Mm -hmm. which is why sin exists in people's lives is because they've shamed their needs enough to not get them met in a healthy way. Or you're just living dissociated and numb and yeah. shut down and you feel dead inside. But that, that was me. And that always blows up in different areas. Yes. yes. It, will, it always has an expiration date on it. It's it's like the people in relationships, um, not to be generic, but I've experienced this a lot. Like, hey, I, I do want to serve in a relationship. I ask them like, hey, what do you need from me right now? Or what would be helpful? And they're like, nothing. I'm good. Don't have needs. You know, like yeah. it's very much, I'm like, you don't have no. a single nothing? Nothing's coming up? <laughs> nothing? Like, really? Because then I'm over here listing, oh, well, here are mine. And I'm like, yeah. you, you got nothing? Okay. That yeah. feels, that Honestly, feels that, exposing. That was me. That yeah. was me. And it totally shuts down and blocks all intimacy and connection. I learned in my family that there wasn't room to have needs. Yeah, wow. Well, mm-hmm. You know, so if you did, then you're weak. And if you did, then your needs would always get drowned out by somebody who had bigger needs, you know. And um, and so I learned that unless you're in an emergency, your needs don't matter. You know, so that's what we do. So I, I see so many Christians that go like, you know, my needs don't matter. I don't care. I don't, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm surviving. You know, I'm good. Except, you know, what happens in ministry is you're not actually loving people because you love them. You're loving them out of, understanding what love looks like at a conceptual level and doing all of the things that look like love. Like how many times have we heard people say love is love is a verb, like, you you know, and it's almost like this thing we're trying to convince ourselves because we don't feel compassion towards people or love that, Oh, it's just, you just do it. You know, you just do it just to do it. And it's like, well, that's not how Jesus functioned. You know, he didn't respond to the needs of people around him. It said Jesus was moved with compassion mm-hmm. and healed this person. Jesus moved with compassion, you know, set this person free. And I think we only have the capacity to feel compassion for people around us when we have been able to experience it ourselves, when we've partnered with God's love for us. You know, like loving ourselves is actually just agreeing with God's love for you. You know, First John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and we don't have any ability to give that away unless we agree that we are loved. Yes. I actually, and this is like reminding me like the other day, I think it was yesterday I was on Instagram stories and somebody, if all I won't call it out, was posted a story about a podcast that was like, is self-love biblical? And I was like, "Mm, okay, I'm going to have to listen to that one because I'm pretty sure I don't agree with whatever they're going to say right now. Um, And I've, like had them on the podcast before. So I'm like, Hmm, let me listen to that. I'm so curious. <laughs> they could be like me though. Like I, I did a YouTube video talking about how like love is a choice and choosing a partner is a choice. But I said, I titled it, God will tell you who to marry. Oh, right, right. <laughs> 
but it, I did it to just challenge so, and poke. Oh, right. That's good. So yes. She could be, she could be just poking. Like she got you. She got you. I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> that reverse psychology. I love, I love being confrontational like that. It's my Yes. Favorite. It's great. Get them in and then be like, this is not what you think guys, but I know the yeah. why you clicked on it. <laughs> yes. So just to wrap up the self-compassion, someone's listening right now, like, oh my gosh, I don't even know where to start. Like, just give them some sort of starting point, action point. You, Sammy, you detailed out, like, write down those six versions of yourself. What is like one step on the journey? Because sometimes when we look at the self-hatred and we think about like the layers that have piled up on it, you know, for years and years and years, it can be really daunting to look at that and be like, I have to go through all of that? Are you kidding me? Like, and uh, so uh, what helps me is just bite sizable, like this one thing you can start on the journey to do, you know, because we can't give them everything they need for the next six months to a year right now, but there's one step, something surely that they can do to start that journey without it feeling so daunting and overwhelming. Yeah. Well, I think anytime we make a mess in a relationship, in order to reestablish trust and connection, we need to clean up our mess, right? If you do something that hurts your significant other or your friend, it looks like taking ownership and apologizing and cleaning it up. And so I think that with compassion, a really amazing first step, um, like for example, with those six versions of yourself, or even one, if six feels like too much, pick one version of yourself you know that you've hated and have shame about or guilt about. And and if you haven't recognized that you have hated yourself, own not just the ways that other people have rejected you or shamed you, or your yeah. parents didn't you know, love you in those moments, like own the way that you partnered with it. Well, because a lot of the times when we get rejected by someone else or we have been shamed by someone else, we decide to partner with that same self-rejection and shame towards ourselves, and we do it as a protector. It's Accusation. Like, it's like, I'm going to reject me before you can reject me. Yep. Because if you reject me, then it won't hurt so much because I already decided. It's like this glimmer of hope that we can feel powerful over circumstances. And so in, in those areas or in that one area, um, I think one thing that's really helpful for me is visualizing things. So like closing your eyes, getting really familiar with that version of you in that season and what you were going through. Like actually connecting with the humanity. Yes. Yes. It's so good. And and see yourself walking up to that version of you and then take ownership. That might sound like for me, Sammy, I've partnered with so much shame and self-hatred over you. You were rejected by people. And so I decided that you weren't enough. Hey, when this person left you and walked away, I told you that you were the problem and I've hated you since then. And I'm so sorry. I didn't know what I was doing. Would you please forgive me for shaming you and for judging you and rejecting you for all of these years? I had no idea and I was just hungry for love and I didn't know how to get it. And some people can't get to that point yet because they may have partnered with self-hatred at such a young age. Maybe that was the way their parents actually parented them. You know, it was like love just wasn't available and unless you performed at some high level on something or showed up or, or like helped them medicate their own shame about their, you know, themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that was necessary for me is like owning the fact, like I've, I've hated you 
you know, like with chubby 12 year old Spencer, like I've hated you. And, and I have to see like, if this was another 12 year old child, that was not me, you know, like I'm, I'm numb to hating myself, but if I can see it, there's another 12 year old child, whether that's a cousin or somebody, you know, a friend's uh, brother or, or someone on TV, like someone that I can imagine, oh, like see imagine some humanity a, with a niece or a nephew that you love and how you could talk to them. Right. And yeah. getting to go, this is not just a thing. This is a person. This is a human being that I have shamed and hated and spoke ugly, ugly things to over and over again. Like, I think it's so important to own, yeah. own it because if you, if you can't own how wrong it was mm-hmm. on your part, then you can't, you can't actually recognize the pain that they, that, you know, that little child in you has been experiencing over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you walked up to a six-year-old and you're like, how dare you, you are, awful. you're disgusting. You are a disgusting child. You know, like how would that six-year-old feel about oh, herself? That like hurts my you heart know? to hear, you know, right. and yet that's what we do. <laughs> that's what we do, but we don't, you know, but we don't know that that's what we're doing. And so we have to get like we have to associate with that and associate with the humanity of the child in us that has been experiencing that over and over again. And the part that we've played in partnering with the accuser and rejecting God's love that's been present the whole time. God's actually like, I want to love that kid, but you've been, you've been blocking. You've been actually holding a stiff arm and saying, nope, love's not allowed here. That doesn't work in my world, you know? And, And it's like this, this firm protector. So I think I think getting to own all of those pieces. It's like sometimes we're holding the shame block from God's yeah. love into our those deepest parts of our soul. It's not even it like that's what I found. It's like sometimes I'm holding the biggest shame cloak of all time of shield, mm-hmm. the curtain, you know, yeah. and like I need to be the one to move that shame curtain aside yeah. to allow so that love in to my heart. We're always, yeah. we're like waiting and waiting for somebody, something, somebody else to do it for us or mm-hmm. some, a relationship or a thing to happen, you know? And, but we have that power to do that. Yeah. When I first realized this in a bigger way, it really was like a year and a half ago. I really had to make a consistent effort to start doing this a lot, like to connect to the inner parts of my soul, my inner child, to go back there, to spend time with those parts of myself that I had rejected for so many years. And it's still a journey, you know, to continually prioritize. I'm humanizing that part of myself and making sure I'm loving that part of myself. Because I know if I don't, it's so easy to just go back to like, oh, I did it once. Okay, good. We're good yeah. to go. <laughs> you know, yeah. like it doesn't totally. work like that, everyone. <laughs> like, And I'm like a productivity machine. I'm like, I'm just going to like get it done and we're going to do it. And cool. Off we go. <laughs> and it's just not like that. Because <laughs> I your heart left in the dust. You're like, <laughs> I know. I felt for weeks. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, we did that one thing one time, Kate, then you abandoned me. I'm like, oh, (laughs) I'm an awesome friend. Okay. I'm just kidding. Oh my gosh. But that's seriously what it's looked like for me. And I can tell when I'm so, when I'm coming back into like my busy, the performance vices, and I'm like moving away from that time spent with connecting to those parts of my soul. It's so obvious. Even in COVID, I like saw those tendencies in myself because I was like, everything else feels out of control. So I feel tempted to go back to all these controlling vices. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, it's what I can control. Okay. (laughs) But, and I've had to get real with myself in these seasons of like, okay, wait, Oh my gosh, 
that's why I'm flaring up right now. That's why I, you know, this, I'm feeling more triggered, more sensitive, more whatever it is. It's because I'm just not prioritizing spending that time with those deepest parts of my soul, connecting and, and processing and giving myself love and compassion, man. And that's, it's hard, man. You guys, this has been so incredible. I don't want the combo to end, but we've talked for an hour, which is amazing. Before we close, I have the same question that every guest gets asked. So you guys will be asked it too. And that's just, what is your final nugget of dating advice for the heart of dating people today? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a great question. Nugget. I would say, I would say my, my advice is that you should lower the stakes in dating. <laughs> you know, what I mean by that is, um, is that if your only goal is to find your future spouse, then it's a high stakes situation yeah. because every person is either your spouse or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but if your goal is, you know, if that's a secondary goal to you, you learning yourself, mm-hmm. you letting this be another vehicle for, for self-awareness and, and, learning and love. love and tra- yeah, learning to love, learning, learning about yourself, learning to love people. If that's, if that's your other goal, you're going to make decisions a lot differently and you're going to, you're going to move in that relationship with a lot lower stakes because yeah. every, every, every relationship will be a success. Yes. Oh, that's so good. I literally talked to somebody about that like the other day. I'm like, we put all this pressure on dating and we need to renew the expectations and how we're like, why we're walking into dating. So good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then my advice is uh, date your best friend. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) You guys are best friends. I can throw a lot of disclaimers in there. (laughs) That was was my joking advice, but I always- My dog is my best friend. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. I always wanted that, like, I'm going to fall in love with my best friend. And then every best guy friend I had, I was like, oh, I would never date them. No way. I'd be like making out with my brother. She she wasn't attracted to me. And I- I wasn't attracted to Spencer for the first two years that oh we were friends, wow. but then I fell in love with him. So I think, I think one thing that I actually do recommend is like creating good friendships with men, like figuring out how to have male relationships without romance and intimacy. I think there's a lot of safety in that. It's fun getting to build chemistry with men whenever it's just relational. And I think that there's a lot of really fun opportunities that could flow from that one day. Yeah. Honestly, that's, that's amazing. Yes. So good. Gosh, you guys, thank you so much. If people want to connect with you and find out about how to work with you or what you're up to, how do they find your incredible work? Well, we have a free training that is actually a lot of what we had talked about, but a little bit more in depth with um, identifying it's a training that's like, I think 35 to 50 minutes, somewhere around there, but it's, it's a 35 minute training that walks you through like, uh, how to identify how pain has caused protectors in your life and how to, how those protectors have, um, kept you from love. And so that, that training is at www.yourheartfree.com forward slash online 
hyphen training hyphen page. That's a, like a lot. I know say. it's a lot. You can actually go <laughs> we'll to your put it in the show, show notes you as can, well. <laughs> yeah, you can go to yourheartfree.com if you want to just grab like a free guide. Um, and then we also have our own. But that training, it, once you watch that, and if you're interested, it'll allow you to book a call with one of our team members to look into our programs. But that's kind right. of like our first step. And then we also actually have um, what we call the rejection detox for people that are wanting to heal their wounds and go on like a step-by-step journey of what that looks like. And I think that's like 60 something dollars and it's pretty packed. Like we, what's the link? Oh, the link is rejectiondetox.com. Super easy. Um, easy. How perfect can that be, you guys? Because my book, thank you for rejecting me. And then you have the rejection detox. Hello. This is like a no-brainer for everyone listening. Uh, my book is on rejection. You guys have the rejection detox. This is going to happen. Anybody who's bought my book that's listening must go and purchase the rejection detox. Do it. I haven't even taken it yet, and I just know it's good. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. And then anywhere else on any websites, well, you gave a few websites, Instagram, anywhere else people can find you, connect with you guys. Yeah, you can go to my Instagram. It's at S-A-M-M-I-R-O-B-B-I-N-S underscore. So Sammy with an I, Robbins underscore. Mm. And we also have a website. I don't know what it's called. What's it called? <laughs> it's aliveandfreeconsulting.com. Oh, that's easy. Yeah. <laughs> that's always changing, y'all. So I just, I'm every time, if I've ever done a podcast or anyone's asking, I'm like, babe, what's the website? What do you, what, <laughs> what is it called? I know. There's so much <laughs> happening that we don't even know anymore. So <laughs> it's so fine. I'm the same way sometimes. I'm like, um, yeah. So, uh, my book, where can you get it again? Oh, okay. Thank you for rejecting me.com. That's what it is. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I, I just want to say, I love what you're doing, Kate. I think it's like just crazy cool how how you've been impacting people and just the honesty and authenticity that you you have and you carry it's no wonder that you have such a great following of of mm-hmm. people that are are learning a lot from you i love knowing that you are influencing at the level that you are and getting to bring impact because i think that it's so hard to find people that are actually taking ownership for their life and doing that internal work because it's not easy like it it's really not for the week. It's a really painful, hard process, but that obviously yields tons of fruit in lives. And so I just love knowing that there's people out there like you that are actually doing the work that are, that have a platform. And so I just feel a lot of respect and honor for you and that you're someone that's like actually walking the walk and not just talking the talk. So thank you for being a powerful person. Wow. You guys, okay. Words of affirmation are my love language and I feel them right now, but I just want to say something too, to what you just said. And that is so meaningful to me because I love so many different leaders and I love learning from them. And then when I started studying the work of Brené Brown, and I'm going to just caveat here that I'm not trying to compare myself to Brene Brown. She is like way different, like amazingness, researcher, all that. But what I love about when I have like just looking at her as a leader and helping people with her research and incredible study on shame and vulnerability and everything, what I love about her is that she also just brings people into how her research and the things she's doing are the hardest freaking things for her ever. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's I, there's just something so freeing about that, about hearing somebody who's quote unquote, 
you know, this expert researcher talk also how it is really freaking hard for her to practice those things. And as I've like, I just connect to her so deeply. And so I, anyway, it inspires me because I'm like, it gives me somewhat courage to be able to step into this and admit to you guys here today that it's like, man, that inner child stuff or connecting to those parts or that controlling piece is still really hard and still shows up for me. So I just appreciate that. I really was, that's so sweet and honoring for my heart to hear. I love that. You're a boss girl. <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, I love you guys. I love this. You're the best. And we'll talk soon. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Love you. Thanks love you for too. having us. Friends, what an amazing episode. I am so grateful for Sammy and Spencer. And I don't know about you, but I will definitely be going back to listen to this episode again. It just hit me in so many ways. Now, also, you guys, I want to encourage you, check out what Sammy and Spencer are up to. You're not going to want to miss it. You're going to want to get involved with their coaching, with their programs, with all the things. Please go check them out and get connected. It is so life-giving. I'm so thankful for what they're doing. Just a quick reminder, go ahead and pre-order my book. Thank you for rejecting me. If you're a fan of Heart of Dating, if you want to support me, it would just mean the world for you to pre-order my book. Not only that, this book is an incredible gift to give someone who might be in the throes of rejection or even in the pit of self-rejections like the ones we talked about today with self-hatred. So do yourself a favor and do your friend or people in your life a favor by buying them this book. And also inadvertently, you're going to be supporting me and I just would appreciate that so much. All right, y'all, that's it for today. See you on Friday for our mini-sode. Love y'all. This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network.